Luke chapter 24. And as you go there, I wonder if I could get somebody to be honest with me this morning and say, Preacher, I struggle with doubt. I figured I might have a few. Guess what? I do too. I struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubts every day. I struggle with, with, with so many doubts that a lot of times as your pastor, I'd be ashamed to tell you of some of the doubts that I struggle with. But I'm so thankful for this message this morning. I'm so thankful that when God gives me a message, He always speaks to me first. So this message, everything that I say to you, I want you to understand, this is something that comes from, from my heart. And, um, and I'm, so, I'm so excited to share this with you this morning. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start reading in verse 33. And if you would, stand and give reverence in reading the living and powerful Word of God. Luke 24, beginning in verse 33, and we'll go through verse 47. It says, And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they just saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And I love this next part. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then notice what Jesus does next in verse 39. See my hands. See my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, for joy and marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His, names, in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You can be seated. This morning I want to talk to you about dealing with your doubt. Dealing with your doubt. I heard a story about a defense attorney that was coming to the end of a murder trial and, and he started to get the sense that, um, that his client was fixing to be charged with murder even though a body was never found. So in his closing statement, he stands before the jury and he says, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a great surprise for you today. He said, In one minute... The person who is presumed dead in this trial is going to walk through that door right there. 
So they waited for just a moment and they sit there and the jury, everybody turned and they looked toward the door and they just waited and a minute passed by and nothing happened. So the lawyer stands up and he says, okay, I confess. I just made that up. But what I want to prove to you is the fact that each and every one of you turned and looked at that door with anticipation So therefore, you have a reasonable doubt that my client is guilty of murder. So I urge you to go back and deliberate and come back with a plea of not guilty. So the jury gets up and they leave and they go out and they sit back and they deliberate for only a few moments and then they come back out and they sit down and the judge says, Have you reached a verdict? The foreman of the jury stands up and he says, Yes, we have, Your Honor. We declare the defendant guilty of murder in the first. And the lawyer stands up and he says, But how? There's no way that you could declare my client guilty. I saw each and every one of you turn to that door and look with anticipation. And the foreman of the jury stands up and he says, Oh, we looked, but your client didn't. This morning, what I want to examine is the difference between doubt and unbelief. I want to show you this morning that all of the courtroom that day had doubt except for one. One had unbelief because one knew that that person was not walking through that door. The rest of them, yes, they had reasonable doubt. And so one of the things that I want to talk about is this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Y'all got to stay with me because what I'm going to talk about this morning is going to be something that some preachers would call blasphemous. But I think as I go through it, you're going to to come along with me and see what I'm talking about. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. In my opinion, true faith will always struggle with doubt. Notice what I said there. In my opinion, true faith will always struggle with doubt. I didn't say give in to it so that it goes to unbelief. I said true faith will always struggle with doubt. But it's how you deal with that doubt that makes faith genuine or not. So I want to talk to you about dealing with that doubt. Dr. Ray Pritchard, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but I was studying a a sermon that he did on on a a subject similar to this, and here's what he said. I'm going to quote him. He said, I don't know how a person can be a Christian and not have doubts from time to time. He actually says in this sermon that he was sitting in front of a group of college kids. He did a question and answer session with these kids and he wanted them to just throw any kind of questions they had in him about faith. And so as they started throwing their questions, he said he was batting a hundred through the night. And he said in about that time, he said they come to the, one of the last questions and this young lady, he said she was about 23, 24 years old, She stands up and she says, "Uh, Dr. Pritchard, I just have one question for you. He said, okay. She said, do you ever doubt? And he said he'd been answering the questions all night long. And he sat there and he thought for a minute. I know the truth, but I don't know if I should answer this question truthfully. 
And so he sat there for a minute and he, he said he thought to himself, I'm just going to be honest. So he looked back at the young lady and he said, Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I do struggle with doubt. And just to be honest with you, sometimes in life it's hard to keep believing. And that honest opinion struck such a chord in so many people that he started having pastors reach out to him and talk to them about how comforting it was to understand that there are so many more people in the world that struggle with doubt in their faith than just them alone. And so this morning I'm hoping the same thing happens to you. To quote him again, he said this, he said, I don't know how a person can even be a Christian and not have doubts from time to time. He said, if you ever arrive at the place where all your doubts are gone and all your questions are answered, take a deep breath and relax. You know why? Because you just made it to heaven. When you reach that place that all of your questions are answered and all of your doubts are gone, you need to take a breath and relax because you have made it. You're there. So I want to show you this morning from the Scriptures that even Jesus' closest disciples dealt with doubt. Think about the, the disciples. You know the story. They were in a boat and... And they were going across the sea and Jesus got up in the front of it and laid down and went to sleep. And a storm rose up to the point that the waves were rolling over into the boat. And they began to, to scream and yell, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And he finally woke up and he, he looked at them and he said, O ye of... He didn't say... He didn't say you have absolutely no faith whatsoever and because you doubt in this time, your faith is just absolutely gone. He said, oh you of little faith. And then he steps up and he says, peace be still and the waves and the winds all calm down to nothing. And then the disciples looked and you remember what they said? Who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? Now think about that statement from people who've seen Him heal the sick, cleanse the leopards, make the blind see, raise the dead. And then they look at this. And after all of that, you would have thought that they would have been assured this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. And yet He calms the waves and the wind and they say this. Who is this? Who is this? Even the disciples had doubt. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, he literally, this is the guy that was sent to pave the way for Jesus. He is proclaiming there is one coming that I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, told the people, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then he ends up in prison and he's fixing to be beheaded. And you know the emotions that he must be going through at this time. And he sends some of his disciples to go ask Jesus this question. Are you the one we're waiting on or do we still wait on one to come? The one who was sent to prepare the way asked this question. Are you really the one? Even John the Baptist had a time of doubt. Let's keep on going. Peter, as he walked on the water, the big storm, they're in the boat, and they look out and they see that there's a spirit coming to them just walking on the water. Peter says, no, it's Jesus. 
He says, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out on the water and I'll walk to you. Jesus said, come. And he stepped out on the water. And you remember what happened? Before he sank. He walked. And then he saw the wind and he saw the waves. And the Bible says that he began to doubt. They began to sink. And Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? But he cried as he doubted. He said, Lord, save me. You remember what Jesus did? I'm here to remind you, doubt is not the opposite of faith. But doubt has to be dealt with. All right? What about all the disciples at the crucifixion? How many of them remained? The sheep was struck, and what, or the shepherd was struck, and what happened to the sheep? Every one of them fled at the crucifixion. Peter denied even knowing Christ three times after proclaiming Him to be the Messiah. Jesus asked Peter, He said, Who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, Only the Spirit of God could have revealed that to you. And then just a little while later, you know what happened? He denies Him three times. But is that where Peter's faith failed? No, as a matter of fact, Jesus told him, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. You remember what Jesus' prayer was? That your faith not fail. Doubt did not cause Peter's faith to fail because it was dealt with in the appropriate way at the appropriate time. So even Jesus' disciples, uh, the closest ones to him, dealt with doubt. Matthew chapter 28 verse 17. Even after seeing him alive, some continue to deal with doubt. It says, and when they saw him, they worshiped. But what? Some doubted. So even after seeing him alive after the crucifixion, they continued to doubt. Even the Old Testament giants of faith had to deal with doubt. Moses told God that he didn't have what it took to stand before Pharaoh. Who am I? He doubted. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I can't talk. I have no power. And then even when he stood before the Red Sea, go back and read the story. I don't know how long he'd been standing there, but the Egyptians are bearing down on them and they're faced with this Red Sea. And you remember what God said to Moses? Quit crying to me. I could quote God here. Quit crying to me. Stretch out your hand and part the waters and walk over. In other words, quit doubting. Quit crying to me and do what you know you are capable of doing. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, but even the giants of faith like Moses dealt with it. What about the time that God promised to feed 600,000 men with quail for a month or with meat for a month? Back in Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 verse 23, God has promised Moses, I'm going to feed your men, 600,000 of them, uh, meat for a month. And Moses asked this question. He said, Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered and it be enough for them? If the whole ocean were emptied of the fish, would it be enough to feed these men? And here's what God told Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. I love the way that God responds to our doubt. God doesn't just chastise us, but He always provides what we need in order for us to deal with our doubt. 
We just have to know how to go about it. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham, the great man of faith who, according to Romans chapter 4, never wavered with unbelief, right? No unbelief made Abraham waver. Look at this. Then Abraham fell on his face and what? Laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall a child be born to Sarah who is 90 years old? Shall she bear a child? And he falls on his face and he laughs. Doesn't sound like doubt to you? And yet you go into Romans and Hebrews and it says, Abraham and Sarah didn't waver with unbelief. They were fully convinced. Well, where is the, what's the difference here? Well, let's go over to Romans chapter 4 and take a look. Romans chapter 4 verse 20 and 21. Look what it says. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he what? He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Go to verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Here's what I want you to see. Abraham and Sarah did not waver in unbelief because unbelief would have meant that they were unwilling to even do their part in order to find out if God's promise was true. Now I know we've joked about this before, but let's be real for a minute. What does a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have to do in order to have a child? I'm just saying... They didn't waver with unbelief. They laughed at first. They doubted. But they listened to the God, they listened to the province. They said, okay, if you say we can do it, let's do it. Even the giants of faith struggle with doubt. Listen to this. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you don't write nothing else down, write this down. Faith is not the absence of all doubt. It is a choice to trust in spite of your doubt. Listen to that one more time. Faith is not the absence of all doubt. Faith is the choice to trust God even in spite of your doubt. That's how the Bible can say of Abraham and Sarah that they did not waver in unbelief, but they were fully convinced they grew strong in their faith because faith is not the absence of all doubt. Faith is the choice to trust God even in spite of their doubt. And Jesus knows that our faith has to grow through our doubts. And so look at how He always responds to doubt. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 3. Now remember, He always rebukes doubt. He always does. But it's because Jesus understands that doubt has to be dealt with. If doubt is not dealt with, it leads to unbelief. If you don't allow yourself to trust God in spite of your doubt, then you will never grow in your faith. Instead, you will be led to unbelief. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 3. This is um, when John the Baptist was in prison. It said, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. 
And he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? The man who is sent to prepare the way for Jesus has doubt. But Jesus responds with compassion and he says, and you can go back and read it for yourself, it comes after this. But he comes back and he says to them, tell John this. Tell him that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And then Jesus goes on to talk about how great a prophet John was. So here's what he does. Jesus provides exactly what John needs in order to deal with his doubt. And here's what you need to understand. If, you're, if you have an understanding of how to deal with doubt, and we're going to go through a few of those in just a minute, Jesus will provide you with the things that you need to deal with your doubt. Exactly what you need. We can't forget Thomas if we're talking about doubt. Mr. Uh, I will not believe at all until I place my fingers in the marks of the nails in his hands and his feet and in the hole in his side. I will not believe. And Jesus responds by doing what? See me. Touch me. Feel me. In other words, okay. I'll give you what you need to get past your doubt. Listen, if you struggle with doubt from time to time, here's what I want you to understand. You're in good company. Because there's probably not a Christian in the past and even the giants of faith that did not struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubt and I'm going to say most all of you do too. So every doubt is not... Uh, it is not unbelief, but it has to be dealt with. And we need to be like the disciples and cry out in Luke chapter 17 verse 5. In Luke 17 verse 5, the disciples actually pray, ask God, it says, Increase our faith, Lord. We want to believe, we don't want to doubt, but there's only one way we're going to get past this. You've got to increase our faith. So we have to get that spirit inside of us. So here we go. How do we deal with doubt? Number one, be honest about it. Be honest about it. How many times do we feel like we got to be uh, uh, everything that everybody uh, needs us to be? You know, sometimes you just have doubt. And sometimes you need to just be honest about it. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if they have failed over the years to listen patiently to their own doubts. He said, These doubts should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with their doubts. Not only their own doubts, but their friends' doubts, their neighbors' doubts. It is no longer sufficient to hold on to beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to the skeptics, including yourself. Sometimes you need to provide grounds for yourself for your beliefs. How many times have you ever questioned yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that this Bible is the Word of God? Do I really believe that He died on the cross? Do I really believe that He raised the dead? Do I really believe that He was raised from the dead? 
Those are questions that it is good for you to struggle with. It is good for you to be honest with because you need to be able to be fully convinced in your own mind and in your own heart that what you believe is absolutely true and you know why you believe it. He says this, he says, just as important for our current situation, such a process, in other words, examining your doubts, such a process will lead you after you come to a position of strong faith to respect and understand those who doubt. In Romans chapter 14 verse 1 it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to argue over opinions. In other words, we are commanded by the Apostle Paul to receive people who are weak in the faith. It's okay for you to have doubts about things and for you to have struggles about things, but not for us to argue about them, but instead for us to search them out and for us to determine where the facts lie. Listen, Jesus will provide you with everything you need, but you have to be willing to cry out to Him to say, Lord, increase my faith. Here's what I struggle with. Here's the doubts that I have. So one, be honest about it. Number two, examine the doubt. What's the source of it or the cause of it? Is it um, intellectual doubt? And what I mean by that is, is it a lack of knowledge? Is the reason why you have doubt in this, maybe, maybe you have doubt because um, you say, well, I don't even know if the Bible is true. I used to have a friend of mine that I would try to witness to and he would look at me and he'd say, listen, this thing has been through too many human hands. I don't believe, it has too many errors. I do not believe that this is the infallible Word of God. I understand that doubt. I understand that struggle. I wish I had been more compassionate about his doubt whenever he was telling me that. I wish I had took the time to explain to him why I believe this is the infallible Word of God. I wish I had took the time to have sit down and went through him and showed him why I know that this Word is the living and powerful Word of God. And I promise you this, if you'll examine your doubt and figure out that it's intellectual doubt that's causing this, God will provide you what you need in order for you to deal with it. I can promise you that. What about this? <clears throat> Is Jesus really the Son of God? I don't know. Some people struggle with that. That's intellectual doubt. There's evidence to support it. There's everything you need to be able to answer that question. Did He really rise from the dead? Or maybe it's emotional doubt. What do I mean by emotional doubt? Well, think about this. Some people may doubt heaven or hell, and there are a lot of people that doubt hell for one reason. Because if hell is real, guess what? I'm either headed that way or somebody I love is already there. And I can't believe that somewhere like that exists if somebody I love is there, right? So emotional doubt. Maybe you have to examine and get a handle on your emotions so that you can understand the reason I doubt this is not based on knowledge, is not based on facts, but instead it is based on my emotions and on what I feel. And I need to be smart enough to lay that aside to examine the evidence to get my faith where it needs to be so that even if it disagrees with my emotions, the facts are there. 
So maybe it's emotional doubt. So examine the doubt and don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. It's okay. Cry out to Jesus, increase my faith, help my unbelief. For the disciples, much of their doubt came from a lack of knowledge and understanding. In Luke 24, verse 44 through 47, you remember he said, why do doubts arise? And then in verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. They didn't understand why he suffered. Remember Peter was cutting folks' ears off. He was ready to go to war. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to go down like that. And all of them back up and they don't understand. They don't know what to do. So you know what they do? They run. Jesus has to set them aside and explain some things to them to get them back so that their doubts don't overtake them. He says, listen, the Christ has to suffer and on the third day He has to rise from the dead. And so He explains the gospel to them more thoroughly. So sometimes all of your emotional doubt and all of your intellectual doubt can be answered by you just taking the time to examine the Scriptures. But it's not just the Scriptures. Number three, look for and ask for the evidence or whatever you need to deal with the doubt. Look for the evidence. Get in here and dig and even ask God for the evidence. Remember, there are times when God will literally show Himself in some way to you has anybody in here ever experienced something in your life that cannot be explained by any other way except God did it? Amen. What does that do for faith? Sometimes maybe you need to look for it. Sometimes maybe you just need to ask. Sometimes maybe you need to be a Thomas that says, Listen, I just can't believe until I touch the hands, until I touch the feet. Now, I'm not recommending you go that path. I'm just saying that sometimes if we're at least wise enough to recognize this is where I'm at and we tell God, increase my faith, you never know what God's going to do to give you the evidence that you need. In uh, Luke chapter 17 verse 5, after telling the disciples how often they have to forgive offenses, <laughs> I love the way the apostles did this. He said... Lord, shall we forgive uh, seven times, up to seven times? And they thought that was good. They thought, man, if we forgive somebody seven times, we've done something. You remember what Jesus said to them? No, seven times ain't going to cut it. How about 70 times seven? And here was their response. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, there are things that God asks us to do that we realize that we don't have the faith to be able to do what He's commanding us to do. And the only thing you can do is be honest with God and cry out to God, God, give me the evidence. God, show me what I need in order for my faith to increase so that my doubt is removed. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23 through 24, I love this statement. It's one of my favorites. It's where the, the boy, man with the demon-possessed boy comes to Jesus and says, Your disciples have tried to cast this demon out of my son, but they can't. And here's what Jesus said to them. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. 
Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Guys, you just have no idea what stirs in me when I read that statement. I love that statement. Lord, I believe. I, I do believe. But help my unbelief. Please help my unbelief. In John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, I'm coming to a close. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not even written in this book. And then he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In other words, believe the written evidence. The Bible is not a fairy tale book. The Bible does not begin with the phrase, once upon a time in a land far, far away. This ain't Peter Pan and Never Never Land. It's not a fairy tale. This is a book of historical facts. Listen, I want you to think about something. Out of all the history that has been collected, couldn't someone have eventually said over time, Jesus didn't raise Lazarus from the dead? Couldn't someone have stepped up and said, He didn't do all those things that was written? He never turned water into wine? He didn't do that? Why don't we have that? Because there were far too many witnesses that saw it. They saw it done. And because of that, history has never tried to dispute this right here. The only thing they've ever tried to dispute is that, is Jesus really the Son of God? Maybe He was just a great prophet. Maybe He was just a mighty man of God. But they don't dispute the fact that these are truths that you read. So believe the written evidence. Number four is the last one. To deal with your doubt, try the promise of God. To deal with doubt, try the promise of God. In Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13, he says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I remember the time in my life that I tested this promise and found it true. Let me give you just a real quick story of what happened. I was living up my life and I was enjoying the things of the world. I was trying to ride the fence between being a Christian and being in the world. Anybody been there? I was doing a good job of it too. Leading worship. I was riding that fence as good as anybody could ride it. And I can remember I reached a point in my life to where I said, you know what, either this thing is real and i got to get in, or I don't believe this and I'm getting out. One of the two. And this promise right here is what came to me. God said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I decided that I was going to go after God with everything in me. I was going to get my prayer life right. I was going to start studying and looking for Him and reading about Him and learning about Him. And I can remember I had one problem. I had a TV. And for some reason, every time I sit down to read the Bible, you know what my hand went to instead? I remember telling God, I said, God, I want to so bad. I just don't understand it. Every time I go to sit down, I end up doing this right here. Ask my wife what happened the next morning to our TV. A lightning storm came in 
Ask her. A lightning storm came in and took the satellite out, took the TV out, which we had a surge protector on. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have a satellite in the house. I don't even think we had a radio. I didn't have anything. So for several years, you know what I did? I read the Bible. The more I read the Bible, guys, this is a true story. It grabbed a hold of me. It became a living book. I've never seen anything like it before. And I can remember when God began to show me, this is who I am. And He became so real to me that even when it was time for me to go home from work, I'd get off work at midnight and at 2.30 in the morning, I'm still at work. And you know what I'm doing? I'm reading the Bible. I can't leave. I can't shut it long enough to just drive home. That's the truth. This promise right here, I tried it. I tried it. And I got real about it. Now it wasn't too long after that. Several years went by and we got another TV. Maybe tomorrow morning God will take care of that. Because I need to go back to that place. I'm just being honest with you. I need to get back there bad. I ain't been there in a long time. But I can remember searching God with everything that I had. And I can remember Him showing Himself to me. Removing all doubt. So I want to end this morning by telling you, try the promise of God. Try it. Try it and see what happens. But notice what the promise says. You will seek me and you will find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. Listen, God don't show Himself to half-hearted people. God don't show Himself to people that want to ride the fence. God shows Himself to people that come to Him and say, God, listen, I got doubt and I'm riding the fence. But I want to know. I want to know that you're real. I want to know that this is real. And when you go after Him with everything that's in you, I promise you, you'll hear people saying about you later, you mean they're a preacher? Ask any of my friends today, tell them I'm a preacher. You know what they'll say to you? Kevin Wells ain't no preacher. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And you know why he's a preacher? Because he tried the promise of God. And God showed Himself to me. Listen, doubt is not, or faith is not the absence of all doubt. Faith is a choice to trust God in spite of your doubt. Faith is stepping out in action even with your doubts and your concerns. And faith continues to trust God even if the test gets harder. And believe you me, they've gotten hard over the years. If you deal with doubt this morning, I want to tell you, you're in good company. And it's okay. Try God. Be honest about your faith. Ask God for the evidence. Look for the evidence and you'll be surprised what God will do in your life. If y'all would stand this morning. I don't know how He has um, spoken to you through this message. <clears throat> 
But I pray that if you're one that's dealing with doubt today, that maybe there's enough evidence there that you would step out this morning and say, listen, I do have doubts and I don't know a lot of things, but there's enough evidence for me to know that I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I pray you'd come and today would be that day. But whatever you need, as we get ready to sing, I pray that you come and come now and you make it right with God. Whatever you need.